This is a Federal News Network podcast. Illegal fishing is bad not just for fish populations. It can threaten food supplies, the marine ecosystem, even geopolitical stability. That last problem is why the Pentagon's Defense Innovation Unit has launched a prize competition for ways to use technology to detect and stop illegal fishing. For more, we turn to the DIU's chief strategist for artificial intelligence and machine learning, Bryce Goodman. Mr. Goodman, good to have you on. Good to be here. And I guess I said that geopolitical stability can be affected by illegal fishing. That's really what the DIU is saying. That's why the Pentagon is interested in this and not just the Commerce Department, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Fishing provides a large amount of protein for a large amount of the global population. So infringing on fishing stocks illegally can give rise to local conflicts over scarce resources. And then, of course, there's the issue of state actors that are using their fishing fleet to expand their presence in waters and sometimes using fleets that are nominally fishing but are not necessarily actually fishing. Little fishing and a little spying at the same time. That's right. All right. And tell us about this challenge. What are you trying to do? Because a naval vessel of a nation encounters a fishing boat and they, what? How can AI and machine learning help in this whole process? The ocean is massive, right? It covers more than two-thirds of the Earth's surface. And our ability to detect vessels on the ocean is incredibly limited at this time. It's limited in the sense that vessels are supposed to have what's called an AIS, an automatic identifier signal. And that's a ping that says, this is where I am, this is where I'm going, this is who I am. And that's all well and good when vessels turn those on. The problem is that many vessels don't turn those on, especially when they're involved in illicit activity. And so in that case, you have no AIS signal and you need some other means to be able to locate and identify those vessels. You could use satellite imagery to do that. Optical imagery is great. The challenge is if you have a cloud in the way or if it's nighttime, you're out of luck. And also you have the issue that As I said, the ocean is massive. So trying to get a person to look at imagery of the entire ocean is completely infeasible. So what we're doing is we've set up an artificial intelligence computer vision challenge where participants are going to be given a data set that is comprised of synthetic aperture radar. So this is imagery derived from a satellite that has a radar on it. And that radar is able to penetrate through cloud cover and can operate day and night. So that obviates some of the problems around nighttime issues and clouds. Teams are going to, or individuals will have access to this data, and that data will be able to be the basis for training machine learning algorithms. And those algorithms should be able to automatically identify vessels, whether or not those vessels have their AIS on. This is not something then that you could see from the imagery with the naked eye, but there are some anomalies in the data or something that could give rise to a vessel, in other words. Yeah, so synthetic aperture radar is quite difficult for a human analyst to make sense of. I mean, it, it is possible to do, but it's also quite cumbersome. So what we're doing is literally finding needles in the haystack. And what we can do eventually is to cross-correlate and say, okay, You know, there's a bunch of vessels inside of an area that we know is off limits for fishing. And then we can send a patrol there to go and check out what's going on. 
We're speaking with Bryce Goodman. He's chief strategist for artificial intelligence and machine learning at the Defense Innovation Unit. Well, is this really about fishing or simply about boats of any type that are in a nation's, I presume this is the United States, territorial waters that you just don't know about? I mean, are you really looking for fishing boats or looking for boats of any type that shouldn't be there? Yeah, that's a great question. So the first thing to say is that we're not just looking at American waters. This is truly a global competition in terms of scope. And and one of the great things about these prize competitions is that all of the data is made freely and openly available so that researchers around the world are able to build these capacities. And we have a prize track that incentivizes people to make their algorithms completely open source, which means that any group, you know, whether you're the Ecuadorian fishing authority or the fishing authority in Japan would be able to download and use those algorithms. So that that's something that I think is really unique about these prize competitions. And in a challenge like tracking illegal fishing, it really does require multinational cooperation, right? I mean, the high seas are international. And a lot of the nations that suffer the most, like Palau, you know, they just simply don't have a Navy that's going to be capable of enforcing their rights and protecting their exclusive economic zones. And you asked, is this really about fishing? And and I would say that it is first and foremost focused on illegal fishing. And illegal fishing has elements associated with it that go well beyond just the damage to, to fish. We know that forced labor and human slavery is a huge component of the global fishing fleet. We know that there are other things like drug smuggling and human trafficking that these fleets can be engaged in. And we also know that certain militaries have used the cover of fishing fleets to make aggressive actions. Like China, for example. That's right, like China. Okay. And how do you keep the data sets out of North Korean hands or Chinese hands or Russian hands such that they could figure out how to make their vessels for spying and human trafficking, etc., even less detectable? So that's also a great question. And that is, of course, one of the risks when you run these challenges that you are making things open and accessible. And we're mitigating against that risk in a few ways. But there is still at the end of the day, some level inherently of you're giving others access to data. And when you make something open, that means it's truly open. However, our hypothesis is that in a world where the oceans are fully transparent, America and its allies win, and China and other nations that are perpetrating crimes at sea lose. So I'm more than happy for Chinese competitors, North Korean competitors, well, North Korean competitors can't compete because of sanctions, but if Chinese competitors want to build algorithms that let us track Chinese fishing fleets, by all means, we'll take them. You know, we win when the oceans are more transparent. And I think China may benefit from that. There are elements, you know, within China, I would hope, that would care about the illegal fishing problem and where we might be able to cooperate. And what are some of the details of this program when our submissions do and how does it work? What kinds of prizes get awarded? Is this a first stage, second stage type of gate? How does that all work? So the competition is being run in partnership with the nonprofit Global Fishing Watch. And we also have support from the U.S. Coast Guard, NOAA. At NIMEO, and we'll be integrating with the U.S. Navy as well. The competition is going to be opened in mid-August, and it's going to run for three months. People that are interested in competing in the website can look up xv3.us, 
they can register and they'll be able to download data. And then they'll have three months from mid-August to submit algorithms. Those algorithms will be automatically scored on data that we have held in reserve. Those scores will appear on a leaderboard. So you'll be able to see where you rack uh, and stack against everybody else. And then we're going to make awards to various individuals or groups, depending on where they come. So there's two prize pools. There is $100,000 that's being provided by our NGO partner, Global Fishing Watch. And that is money that anybody in the world is eligible to win. And then there's an additional $50,000 that Defense Innovation Unit is putting out. And that's specifically for U.S.-based organizations. And so the intellectual property then, as you said, will be put into the public domain so people can develop products around it pretty freely. Yeah, so certainly if you compete on the Global Fishing Watch track and you want to be eligible for the $100,000 for the prizes, you do need to make your algorithms open source. On the Defense Innovation Unit track, we do have a track called a closed source track, which allows companies to compete. They're much smaller cash prizes, but it allows those companies to retain all IP rights to their algorithms. Bryce Goodman is a contractor as chief strategist for artificial intelligence and machine learning at the Defense Innovation Unit. Thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. Find this interview and a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, 
I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention and it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture 
of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte, but for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month, and you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.